I mean, obviously most of us know it's really important to start your relationship with your employees on a good note. And part of that is hiring the good people, the right fit for your practice and really understanding what that looks like. And I think that's where I like to try to bring the right people to the right hospital. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is generously sponsored by AmeriVet Veterinary Partners. Better business, happier vets, healthier pets. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. We are super excited to have you. Um, We've known each other a long time and I have greatly respected your career as a manager and really an HR uh, guru in the veterinary space. So we have a tradition on the Positive Leadership Podcast to not read people's bios. We like them to tell us a little bit about themselves. So without having to read your bio, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what uh, makes you rock and roll? Well, thank you, David, for having me today. It's actually really exciting to be here. We are super excited to have you, Melissa even in my spare bedroom. (laughs) I think that trying to describe myself is kind of hard, I guess, but I think that I just love veterinary management and I got into this field sort of by accident. I was actually not planning on being a manager. In fact, I did say some negative things about the idea of being a manager when I first graduated from college, but I ended up uh, getting promoted and doing it anyway. And so I think I just, my career sort of progressed along the lines of practice manager into hospital administrator, uh, into certified right near practice manager, into PHR, California, and just trying to evolve myself to do more and do what I can. So I think that's the best way to describe myself. And you forgot to say that you're an awesome dog and cat mom too. I am. I have three kitties and two doggies. Um, I do love cats more. But I love my dogs the same as cats, which is seriously a compliment to my dogs. No discrimination amongst the species. No discrimination. I just, I don't know why I relate to cats better. And I especially relate to the angry cats. I want to like be their friend and get them to calm down. And it works sometimes. Yeah. Awesome. And you also, a little shout out to my favorite blue. You are an amazing stepmom. Oh, thank you. Uh, So we are all pretty uh, self described uh, leadership and kind of education junkies. So where do you go when you need to get your learn on, your your favorite or go to a book or podcast? Uh, what's, what's one that you attended recently or throughout your career that really had a really lasting effect on you? 
recently I've been listening to more audiobooks and I've been listening to them for a while, but recently I've been focusing more on things that are kind of leadership or not just like self-help, but like self-growth. And I've listened to Brene Brown a lot, actually. And I really like a yes, lot of her yes, messages. Yes. Love her. Love yeah, she's her. great. And I have to say, even though she's not veterinary, it's just her messages are really useful all around. And I think that she has a, a powerful message in a lot of different ways. So I would say if I picked my favorite thing would be all of her books. And I think that I've listened to almost all of them. So I don't know that I have any more to listen to, which is kind of a sad thing. But I think that no, would be my favorite. you can just start over again. Get something even better out the second time. I know. I'll have to, I'll have to do that. If it was CE, continuing education, when I do it in person, definitely the VHMA. Uh, we did a great virtual one last fall, but it was not the same. So, Melissa, you, you have so much that you bring to the table. And when David and I talked about interviewing you, we really pondered um, what could you bring to our listeners that I was relevant and valid and current and out of all your talents and your knowledge and your expertise, we felt right now, currently in the midst of what's going on, was more of like a staffing crisis um, in veterinary medicine today. And so we felt that your expertise in HR and specifically in recruiting would definitely be something that our managers would just um, eat up. And so if you could tell me, specifically recruiting, what makes that area of HR so near and dear to your heart? I think because when I was a full-time manager, it was the thing that I liked the least. I actually did not like doing recruiting because it was such a time suck. And when I started doing it with Bash Hollow, actually, we did it kind of on the side. And I learned that the way that he did recruiting and the way that his techniques that he used actually made it a lot simpler and a lot easier. So when I became a full-time veterinary management consultant, I started to use recruiting as a way of helping other hospitals and using the tools that I kind of learned with BASH to be able to make it easier and not as time consuming. And I've learned that, I mean, obviously most of us know it's really important to start your relationship with your employees on a good note. And part of that is hiring the good people, the right fit for your practice and really understanding what that looks like. And I think that's where I like to try to bring the right people to the right hospital. And it doesn't always work because sometimes they're fake to me and they, they, they have me snookered or whatever. But most of the time I've helped recruit good candidates and the hospital ultimately makes yeah. the decision. But yeah, it's not, not they're and, not always perfect, unfortunately. You know, I agree. I, I'd love to just go back and kind of highlight if I can what you just said there. And it was such a little gem that I, I hope our listeners can pick up on that. Um, and hear that and listen to that and take that to the heart. And then what you had said was, we want our employees to start off with the right foot, right? And that begins with recruiting. And so, Absolutely. amen, sister, like yep. that is, Absolutely. <laughs> like we, you can't get them before recruiting, right? Like that's the right. first impression yep. that you have with them. So fantastic. I love that. And, you know, a little shout out to Bash Hallow on the East Coast there. Woo -woo. If you him. don't know Bash, um, yeah, find him on social media and search him out. He's great. He's hilarious. You will definitely enjoy his his social media <laughs> posts. Yes. <laughs> He's a, is a good hoot. But tell me then, Melissa, working with him, what did you learn working with Bash? What did he teach you or what kind of gem do you feel like was your biggest takeaway from doing something on the side? Especially, what, like you said, we don't have enough time in our day as managers mm -hmm. Like you had time specifically to focus on this area and nothing else. So tell me a little bit about what you learned there. Uh, at the time that I started with him, it was several years ago. And 
I was working with mostly his hospitals and we were hiring for a lot of receptionists. And that hospital specifically did not have a requirement for them to have experience. So we would get like a hundred plus applicants. That was during that time. Oh yeah, it was, it's a little different now because it's a different time period. But back then there were so many applicants. And so what he did and he taught me and I learned that from him was to one, make your ad, ask them to do things. So in your ad, ask them to make a cover letter, ask them to read the website, ask them to do certain things so that when they reply to the ad and send over their resume, you can see very quickly if they did those things. Did they give you a cover letter? That's mm. really easy. Yeah. You, can they follow instructions? Put, yeah. Can right. they follow yeah. instructions? Right. right off the bat. And that was like a first step in sort of distinguishing, like when I have 120 applicants to look at, was I going to sit there and look through 120 when none of them have to have experience, which is usually your thing that you get to use as your weeder, I guess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. They didn't have that. So that fact that they didn't write a cover letter was like, okay, if you want to stand out, we told you to write a cover letter. You didn't listen. Therefore, I'm not going to look at you. And in addition, they can have the best resume in the world, yeah, but if we you don't follow directions, mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. And yeah. then the next step that he does that he taught me um, that I sort of tailored to my own use is to send out survey questions. And I know like Indeed allows you to do those questions that you can have them take, but they're pretty general. They're Indeed's questions. I don't know that they necessarily apply. And the survey questions that we would ask are really like five or six questions. It's not very long, but it's one of those things where we say, hey, we're interested in you. In order to get to know you a little bit more, why don't you fill out these survey questions? And then half the time they don't do it. So the people don't submit a cover letter and they don't respond to your survey questions. You don't have to do anything with them. You can wah, just ignore wah, them. Wah, wah, filter. Right, and right, exactly. Yeah, so literally like of 120 people, you might get 20 that respond to yeah. the survey questions. I'm not kidding. Right. It's less than half. Yeah, and so I sure. feel like that's a really good way for us not to waste our time because I don't want to waste my time. Yeah. And then the next step for me is to always schedule a time to talk to them. So I used to call them like just out of the blue. So if I you know, had a resume and I was interested in them, I would just give them a phone call. And then it was playing phone tag constantly. And so this way, you know, I know one, that they're already serious because they responded to my survey questions. Two, I say I can do an interview between four and seven and then which time works for you. And then they respond. And then I call them at the time that they picked. So it's even more, I get a lot less flakiness. Mm-hmm. I do still have sometimes where they don't answer, they don't respond. But I think also sometimes people accept another position. They don't They don't know how to tell me. So they just yeah, don't answer the phone, right. which right. is fine. So I feel like it's a less of a time waster when I know I'm going to devote this specific time for them. And then I leave a message and say, you can call me back. Because sometimes if they don't know the number, they won't answer. And they'll call me back sometimes. And a lot of times they don't if they don't answer to begin with. So right. those are little tips that I've learned to help make it a little bit easier when you have a lot of applicants or you can't choose them based on some sure. criteria that is easier for you. That yeah, makes a filter. lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a really great segue. You were talking about ads. So, you know, you, let's let's imagine you have their practice and it's known in the community and it has a little bit of social media presence. So people kind of know it. The, you know, the next way to get to a candidate to come into you is for you to tell them, I have a job open, right? So let's talk about ads for a minute. You know, what do you think is an effective ad, how was it written and what are, you know, some, as you said, kind of call to actions you would include? And do you spend money on ads? Where do you place them? What are the hot sites? Like, just give us your 411 on writing uh, a recruiting ad that will allow a practice to even grab the spotlight. 
everybody is hiring, right? Everybody's hiring <laughs> and everybody's got an ad. And so we all say, but nobody's applied to my ad. And we know there's applicants out there. My guess is that there's 50 ads to two applicants. And so it's just a numbers game. So what are, what is your advice, Mel, for practices in terms of how do you get them connected to see you got a job and, and how do you put those together? Sure. I think that the most important thing in an ad is to make it enticing and engaging for the applicant. I think where most hospitals go wrong is they tell the applicant what they want in the person. So they say, we want a person who is polite, fast, you know, whatever their skill set they're specifically looking for. And that's all they tell them. Instead of trying to sell the applicant on why your hospital is better than the hospital across the street. And I think that's what makes you stand out when you say our hospital offers a ventilator. One of the hospitals that we're going to be working with has a ventilator, which a lot of general practices do not have ventilators. So it's not even just the equipment, but you can say, look, if you have regular team meetings, you should tell them. We have weekly team meetings. Whatever makes your hospital stand out is what's missing from a lot of ads. And that's what makes people think about you. And I actually have a lot of people commenting that they really liked the ad because of something, something that I said in the ad to make them want to apply to that job. Uh, I do think that you should spend a little money in your ads, but you don't have to spend a lot. And it depends on also what your like position is, kennel position or someone that doesn't have to be as skilled or you have a position where you don't need to have any type of experience. You probably don't need to sponsor that because you're probably going to have a lot more people applying to it. But if you have like specific, you're looking for an RVT or you're looking for an experienced receptionist or a practice manager or a leadership role of any kind, you really should sponsor it, at least through Indeed, for anywhere from like probably 10 to $15 max for those mm-hmm. positions. For a doctor, it would be higher because it That's gets a you point. a little bit more yeah. visible. Mm-hmm. And if you made a good ad, you want to be more visible so that you're seen mm-hmm. first and they're like, oh, I like this place. Let me think That's about that. That's a good that. point. Yeah. So what, you know, I always get this question too, or at least I see it on different forums or Facebook or whatever. What's the hot site, Mel? Like, what's the site that A, everybody's going to, and B, that you should be on? And I feel like sometimes, obviously, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek because I think people think that there's a magic site where if they've not heard of it before, that there's going to be all these candidates just waiting in the wings, right? And we know that that's yeah. not. There's an economic piece here, which is supply and demand, and there just isn't a supply, and there's a ton of demand. But what, you know, what are the sites you recommend? And, you know, what are the sites that have, like, the best kind of ROI, the best bang for your buck? Yeah, it's funny that you said that because there are so many people that ask about that magic site and there is not a magic site. Some of it's going to be area specific. Some of it's going to be just general. I think we should create one and then sell it. A magic site. I know. I actually tried that. (laughs) I I turned out to be not good enough to manage uh, ingenuity of websites to be able to facilitate that. So it's just sitting there waiting for me and Rhonda to sell the idea. I know. That's the only reason why we kept the uh, URL is so so that we can sell it to somebody someday. But what I found is that I do use Indeed a lot. Indeed is known enough to where people look at it. I have used Monster in the past, but I would say Monster if you're looking at a very professional position, you know, like a practice manager, or if you were looking for like an admin assistant or something like that. But I would say Indeed probably will cover all of your bases. What about um, Zip Recruiter? And then AHA actually has one as well. And that's been mm. very specific. But ZipRecruiter is not veterinary specific. Have you utilized either one of those? I have utilized AHA for practice manager position previously. I've never used it for any other position in the practice, but I have for practice manager. Okay. It didn't really have a lot of success. I use the VHMA also for practice manager. Oh, yeah. I right. think if you're looking for an upper level manager, then yes, either one of those would be good. I don't know. I've not had success with it for any, anything else really other than that. 
And I, and I would say I had, didn't have success with AHA, but I, I think they're worth it if you wanted to consider using them. ZipRecruiter is kind of hard for me because I'm already a recruiter. So I don't know that ZipRecruiter is going to give me anything different than Indeed mm, would do. Good point. Okay. And I know yeah. one practice I worked with, I was recruiting for them. And then they also got like a free ZipRecruiter thing. So they went ahead and signed up for it. And the app, the candidates that ZipRecruiter was sending weren't even qualified to the job. Mm, but I don't know lovely. what the owner sent ZipRecruiter. So I don't know what oh, information sure. they had. Right, I don't right. know if it was on their end or if it was on her end or whatever. Yeah. So I honestly don't have a strong opinion about ZipRecruiter mm-hmm. one way or the other. But if you get a free coupon, try them because, I yeah. mean, it can't hurt. What do you think about all of these? So, you know, you can post to SCVMA, CVMA, AVMA. FVMA, PVMA, like, do you also see yourself posting to the veterinary medical associations, vet tech associations, all of those associations for jobs or really ones with higher target? I have used the AVMA, SCVMA, CVMA, PVMA, Pennsylvania, CVMA, Connecticut Veterinary Medical Association. I've used Texas Association. I've used Rhode Island's. I've used tons of associations when I've been hiring for a veterinarian. And I've had a little bit of success, not 100%. I actually, to be perfectly honest, I haven't had success with the AVMA at all, which I've heard a lot of people say. And the one thing I was really excited about when I started to use the AVMA was that they allow you to resume search as part of your ad payments. Like, so when you buy an ad, you pay for to use their resume search site versus if you try to do that through CVMA, you have to pay $30 per resume that you want to contact. wow. Indeed, you have to spend $100 a month mm-hmm. for 30 re- uh, candidates. And mm-hmm. AVMA is actually included. And so I felt like, okay, oh, cool. it was worth yeah. it yeah, because I can contact directly. Mm-hmm. However, I probably contacted 150 veterinarians. And I got a few people that said, no, I'm not interested. Or, oh, I just took a job, but I didn't get a single hit off of it. So wow. I, I have been okay. disappointed in that. Yeah. Uh, the, but the PVMA and the CVMA on the East Coast, I did have a little bit more luck with. I had some candidates that applied through that. Mm-hmm. I think that one thing that's, if you're looking for a veterinarian, the career fairs through the local colleges, so like Western has a good career fair, Davis has a good career fair. I think I have a little bit more contact. In fact, I really enjoyed Western's career fair last fall. It was virtual, but I really liked the way they did it because they give you all of their contact information in advance. So I could actually email them in advance, set up a time to do an interview. I liked that. I did not like the AVMA's career fair because it was just like, it was weird. It was crazy. It was like, yeah, it was like a disorganized messenger. Mass. Oh my gosh. It was so disorganized. I did not yeah. like that. But I, I think that the Davis one, I didn't get to attend it because I had to choose and I chose the AVMA instead of Davis. But I think Davis is organized a little bit more like Westerns is. I think if you have specific people that you know are going to be there and then you can reach out to them versus just instant messaging, I think that that kind of works. So mm-hmm. I would say career fairs are good for yeah. the Western students. Also for the tech students as well. Some of the local colleges, or at least in Southern California, have career fairs. And those are just fairs. for, though you're just getting DVM and RBT or licensed technicians. Yeah, licensed tech. They don't have fairs. any career yeah. fair. Yeah, there's no career right, fairs the for CSR, the other, other things. Yeah, right. But if you have someone who's at a basic level and they need to get experience, you know, and you have that position, you can use that at the tech schools. Obviously, things are different with COVID. So I don't think West Standridge or Platt has had any career fairs since COVID. Yeah. So the local, it's not the local same. RBT schools. Yeah. They just don't have the virtual presence as the colleges do. The bigger ones do. Yeah. yeah. What about Facebook ads and so and Instagram ads and those types of things? So what I'll say is the moment I tell a hospital that they should think about using Facebook, they freak out because they think all of their clients are going to be applying to the ad and they don't want any of their clients applying to the ad. And that's not the way the ads work on either Facebook or Instagram. Uh-huh. And typically what right. I've done is I've used Facebook 
and then it, it posts the ad on Instagram as well. So I don't I haven't done it from Instagram okay. other way. I've only done it from Facebook and then it goes to Instagram too. But what I do is I go in and I know what position I'm looking for and it allows you to pick your audience. And so I pick the audience saying, you know, the age range I want, the skill set I'm looking for. They have you say interests, are they interested in? So any of the people's interests. So most of the people that are interested have something connected to veterinary medicine on their Facebook page. If I'm looking sure. for a veterinarian, I'll say DVM. You know, things that apply directly. Keywords. Uh Yeah, keywords that would associate with that audience of people. And then I do an exclusion for rescue groups because I don't want a bunch of rescue group people applying if that's their only experience is working in a rescue group. That's not necessarily what I'm looking for. So I'll do an exclusion of what people I don't want to see the ad. And being a sponsored ad, it controls where it goes. It controls who sees it. Do you know if you can exclude the people that follow? Like you were saying, clients of that particular hospital, if you exclude the people that follow that Facebook page, you're excluding clients probably, right? But it's not always gonna be clients that follow that page. Like I follow tons of hospitals. I've not done the exclusion of a specific, I've not done that too, because you couldn't choose clients because clients is not gonna be a choice. And I don't know that you can exclude the people that have liked or looked at the page. But when I do it as a recruiter, I'm not connecting it back to that hospital's page anyway. The name of the hospital will be in the ad, but it's going to be with my business's sponsorship. So it's not going to be associated to the hospital. So when I do it, it is a little bit different. Makes sense. Yeah, okay. You can pick, like, do you only want people that follow you to see it? And you can say no. So when you say no, basically what it changes is it changes the demographics that the people who follow you have nothing to do with anything because then sure, you're going to tell the audience. Yeah, yeah. You're going to say, it's not going to be the people that follow me. You only want the people within these criteria to see it. So if mm-hmm. you happen to have a client who happens to have everything in that criteria, then maybe they would see it, but it's not automatic because it's, okay. again, it's going to be, you tailored the ad to be viewed by a specific group of people. Right. And that's right. it. And so I would say that you could use it for that. And that one I do, like when I've done it for doctors, I've done like $75 for 30 days. If you're doing it for a technician, you could probably do $25 to $50 max per mm-hmm. 30 days. And I know some hospitals have more success with that. I think the thing to think about too is that a lot of people are not looking for work. They're gainfully employed and they're happy. So what you want is you want to come in and be sneaky. And so if they happen to have resume alerts through Indeed or they happen to be on Facebook, and they get a resume alert from Indeed that says there's an open position at this hospital. Mm-hmm. They might not actively be looking, but if you write right. a great ad and then they're like, huh, and then they click on your ad, then they might be able to see something and uh, they might realize that you're there. Right. So you match them. That's cool. Mel, you've had some great tips and tricks and feedback for us. One thing I'd like to ask is about mistakes. You've given us some great things of what we can do and how we can make things better. But what do you think are three common mistakes that veterinary practice managers make when they're going through this recruiting process? I think there's more than just three. (laughs) 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 Right. For time's sake. How about three? Yeah. Yeah. I know. How about top three? Uh, I have to think about that. I think that one is writing a crappy ad the thing that grabs their attention the most and people are just, they don't spend a lot of time trying to make it engaging and making their hospital look like the place that someone would want to work. I think that's a huge uh, fallacy that they make. I think the other is not spending the time to really make sure it's a reasonable candidate or applicant before you set up their interview. And and I, and I even can say, like, I'm not 
100% successful even with the system that I use. But I can say that before I was doing the surveys and before I was trying to schedule things, I would have a lot more no-shows and I'd have a lot more flaky people. And I think that when we just call them and say, hey, come on in for an interview, I've got something at one o'clock, there's more of a chance that they're not invested in your hospital. And I think that they need to be invested in your practice. They want to work specifically for you because they're more likely to show up engaged in the idea of being at your business, which is mm -hmm. different than just people who are just looking for a job. So I would say that, you know, spending yeah. the time to vet them a little more yes. yeah. right. is Makes worth sense. it. But again, I can say it doesn't always work. I mean, I have some failures, so I will be honest yeah. and say I don't always, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm definitely have a higher percentage now than I did, you know, six years ago, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think you make a good comment when you talk about trying to write an ad about, you know, being eye catching. And one of the things that we do have to realize is, you know, there, like David said, there's, I, I don't remember what it said exactly, but you know, about a hundred ads for two applicants, right? We have to sell our practice yep. to that candidate. And so when you just have that run-of-the-mill ad that says, hey, I'm looking for, you know, XYZ person, like you said, Mel, that can be, you know, is a team player or that is reliable and dependable and we're giving <laughs> these common qualities that everybody really thinks they are, right? Truly, every candidate walks in and says, yeah. I am a team player, I'm a like I'm reliable. Yep, I multitask. Yeah, I'm this amazing mm -hmm. person to be on your team. But we don't sell our practice of why candidates should say, I really want to work at that practice. That practice sounds amazing. They wrote a great ad. They have all these great features. Yeah. Their culture sounds great. And I know when I'm interviewing people, I do my best to make sure that I'm selling our practice, mm -hmm. especially right now with candidates. If I have a good candidate in front of me, you better believe I am selling the culture at our practice. Yeah. I'm talking about all the amazing points. And, and not to say that I'm not sweeping the crap under the rug and not talking about it, because I do think that you also have to say, you know, you've got to air that laundry a little bit where you don't want to say, you know, oh, we have a bunch of mean girls in the back that, you know, are going to cut your throat <laughs> day one that you're there, you know, right, right. but you still need to be able to say, you know, we don't, we sometimes we get it wrong, um, but we are good about making sure that we, you know, do our best to make it right after yeah. we've acknowledged, mm -hmm. you know, the air or something like that. So right. really making sure we sell our practice in that ad. And, and I yeah. agree, Mel, I think that's something that we just screw up on we a do. regular mm -hmm. basis. Yeah. If you oh. look at Indeed and just look at a veterinary ads, it's like someone copied and pasted every oh, yeah. single mm -hmm. ad from yeah. every single the practice. Spellings, lowercase, yeah. I know, oh my God, Andrea, well. say it again for those people in the right? back. <laughs> well, I think that one thing that people should remember too is that we all know that there is not a lot of candidates right now, right? Because people are sort of happy where they're at. So in a sense, and not that I'm trying to encourage people to steal from other hospitals, I don't mean oh, that. Oh, it's straight up poaching right now. Like, Yeah, it's kind of yeah. acceptable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to write your ad towards the person who's already employed. Because I can right. tell you, I'm working with like five hospitals in, in Southern California for different positions. And I'm seeing some of the same applicants to different hospitals. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, they're yeah. not the best applicants. And I'm seeing them over and over and yeah. over again. Right. So yeah. right. what I'm trying to tailor an ad, I want it to be tailored to sort of the people that might be employed that happen to have the resume alert that comes yeah. in. Yeah. And right. they're thinking, oh, maybe this hospital sounds better than mine. Right. Even though we know right. the grass isn't greener, sometimes it is. Sometimes it so, is. You know, yep, our absolutely. country's unemployment is up really high right now, right? Highest it's been in a very, very, very long time. But our profession's unemployment is slim yeah. to nil. Yeah, it's almost right? zero, Everything, exactly. But it's right. Yep. And the people that are unemployed are probably not the people that you want at your practice. Right. right. Like there's a yep. reason why they're unemployed. 
Totally. And that's exactly it is write your, your job description. Mm-hmm. I always say, and I learned this from Dave Nichol, right? The job descriptions would say like, dear John, I would love for you to come work at my practice. Yeah. 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 You know, and then just love Dre. Like it's gotta right. be this right. letter that's literally mm-hmm. written mm-hmm. to this perfect ideal candidate mm-hmm. yeah. and why you're selling, you know, your practice to them and why it's amazing and why you should come and they should spend 40 hours plus a week there for, right. you know, Whatever amount you're going to pay them, you know, like make it just this beautiful letter that says like, love Dre, P.S. Here's my email. Can't wait to have you start. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that passion that comes out in that ad. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing you kind of mentioned, it made me think of something else too, is if you're hiring for a position that doesn't, that will be okay if they don't have as much experience in our field. There are a lot of people who work for Disneyland who are unemployed. And there are a lot of people who work at restaurants and servers and in really high mm-hmm. quality yes. customer service positions yeah. that are unemployed or have had their hours cut significantly. Yeah. So if people in our field are willing to be open-minded to the fact that they might be able to look at the person who used to work at the Staples Center and used to deal right. or work with thousands right. of people on a regular basis. And have basis, amazing yeah. client they service may have skills. A, oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, so yeah. if you have... That a reception assistant, yeah. that kind of position. Yeah. Right, right. Really think about whether or not your hospital can evolve itself enough mm-hmm. to have those right. people come in. Right. And you have to train them. Yes, there is going to be more of a yes, learning curve. of course. Yeah. But they're going to be right. able to make up for it in their skill set of customer Absolutely. service. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you can't right. train that, that one anyway. That right. is the workforce of the future for us. It isn't, oh, we're going to uh, have a, a fantastic RBT that's just graduated technician school. There are some, but there are way too many jobs. Mel, uh, that yes. is absolute right. gold. Uh, we have we to bring as them industry, up. Yep, we have to pivot. We have to retrain. We were in this spot about, I don't know, what, 30-ish years ago when nobody was an RBT and everybody was an assistant. Yeah. And we trained and the doctor trained you how you, you yes. know, wanted it done. And we got real complacent that there were all these yep. technicians and all of these great vet assistants and, and not that many clinics that were opening. And then yeah. we had this entrepreneurial boom and corporate yes. boom of, of practice being bought and expanded and all this. And, and then ones. we got, yeah. yep, and now there's five jobs for every, you know, for every right up yep exactly so we're back to where we are and then you've got all these practices that say well i don't want to train well you have to (laughs) that's where we are you can't have it both ways right yeah you're just not going to have good long-term employees there yeah exactly so mel we have this tradition on the podcast where we always want to give our listeners actionable stuff we record on fridays so monday morning you know for the manager when they go back into work there's one or two things that they can literally you know put into practice i think i think one of them you already said was like write an ad as a love letter to somebody who already has a job like i totally love that so what's one more thing like on monday morning this this manager sits down they have had no applicants for a technician position or a veterinarian position and they rework their ad and it seems lovely what's like one other thing that they could literally put in into place tomorrow one thing and and i guess this might be a little more specific to indeed but it might also work if they're on another site depending on how they organize the site but don't let your ad get stale i would say that's another thing whenever i do an ad i always give it a 30-day time limit are never going to be older than 30 days because when you see an ad that was created last year may and even though you may have hired someone in the meantime, but you just kept that same ad over and over, that's not good. It's not good to have a stale ad. So I would say if you're trying to hire for someone, go look at your ad. Not only do you fix it, like you just said, but also look at the timing. When was it created? If it was more than 30 days ago, you need to pause that and then redo another one. 
And it's really easy to do that on Indeed. Yeah. You just click on hire in multiple locations and you can do a new, uh, you can keep the information from that ad so you don't have to redo the whole thing, but it looks fresh. Melissa, I'd love to hear one piece of advice that you could share with our listeners. I know we've been talking about recruitment and HR. However, if you had anything that you could tell our listeners, even if it was outside of the realm and the scope of what we've been talking about today, uh, if you could give yourself a piece of advice that you didn't have you know, 10 years ago in your management career, even 20 years ago, or just say one thing to our listeners, what would that one thing be and why that piece of information? Take a day off. Ooh. I like it. And, and the reason I would say that is because I know lots of we managers. We don't do that. Yeah. I won't name names. Leslie Boudreau. <laughs> Every, yeah. I'm sorry. There's a lot of people I could say, but no, yeah. seriously, take a day off. Relax. Get your stuff together. Turn your phone off and just let yourself chill, especially with last year being the way it has been. Yeah. Just It's a Absolutely. circus. It's a circus and we're tired of you know being the ringleaders and let's take a day off and take a breath and just enjoy your time so that you can just come back the next day and feel recharged. And not only take a day off, like you said, turn your phone off, right? Take a day off means like completely decompress mm -hmm. from the practice, right? Don't answer any text messages. Don't nope. look at your email. And Nothing. mentally don't think about what's going on there. And I, that is an exercise that I struggle with I try my hardest to, okay, I'm going to turn my brain off and I'm going to turn off from work. It's, you know, it's five o'clock punch out, you know, type concept. It's very difficult for me to, to unwind then from and, and completely not have work thoughts and going on in my brain or the urge to want to check my email or check my phone or answer that text message or whatever it may be. And that's super important that I think we include with that follow-up statement of take a day off comma, that means everything, right? Yeah. Work related. Yeah, for sure. Mel, I have talked with you endless times and we have recounted endless stories to each other. We've laughed, we've cried, we've been amazed. We have talked about things that happened to us in our management career that honestly are like jaw hits the ground, eyes pop out of your head like a pug, you know, palm to the forehead. No freaking way can you make this shit up. And I know you have had just as many as jaw-dropping experiences that I've had in my career. Can you share your favorite you can't make this shit up story with our listeners today? That's a tough one. Because you have to pick one. I know. <laughs> I have to pick one and I have to think of, I'll remember, oh yeah, I should have said this one. You know, I just, I, I don't know. I've had so many that involve scrubs and people showing their butt crack. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like everybody has that story. I think probably one that I'm going to do two. They're tied together. So they're about, they're about recruiting since we're talking about that. So, sure. and I think I told you this one, when I was in a interview, the candidate had hard candy in her mouth, which was a little annoying because she had it the entire time she was talking, but she explained that she'd had a sore throat. So she was saying something and all of a sudden the candy just flew out of her mouth and hit the ground. Oh. Oh my gosh. Gosh. And it was just like. That's gross. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? It's really gross. And I have blocked out what happened afterwards. So I actually oh. don't remember. 
what happened with the candy. You so didn't I give her the job know. and say, you're hired. Great job. <laughs> yeah. You can no. start with kennel and clean up that candy. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was right. odd. And she oh, did man. not get the position, but not because of the candy. I could have forgiven that. It was just because she was did not have the experience that we were looking for. The other one that I would say is also another one of my favorites was I had a really good interview with an RVT. This was years ago. And she came in, had a great interview. I was impressed with her. You know, it was like, great, come in for your working interview. Well, she come in, came in for her working interview quite hungover and very oh. obviously oh, may wow. have still been intoxicated. I'm not sure. Oh, and we went into the office. I always did a little recap at the end of the interview, even though I knew I was not going to hire her because she was clearly uh, not in her right frame of mind. But she sat there and the office cat sat behind her and he started to smell her armpit and the next hmm. thing i know the office cat is fleming because she had oh, such bad bo or some kind of odor that goodness. was emitting from her Alcohol so, emitting from her skin. Oh, yeah so so wow. the office cat was fleming to smell her and i thought well oh. You, you don't get to get hired either yeah, right. again. Ooh. Not only are you kind of still drunk, maybe. Right. And get her out of the um, office. Right? You're smelly. So. Yeah. Office cat not approved. <laughs> the yeah, office it was cat the funniest to like thing. you in order to get through. I could just oh, picture man. him and his little face with his little nose scrunching. He's like, Whoa. oh, that's horrible. <laughs> that is horrible. So, Mel, we have a tradition on the show where we wrap up with what we call our rapid fire. And these are pretty hard-hitting questions, but they are meant for the kind of Freudian, real quick, you know, 30 seconds or less type of response. So are you ready? Yes. All right. So tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. I was fired from a job as a manager and it changed me a bit. It also made me so much stronger and it led me on the path that I'm on now. And it made me a 10 times better consultant and having that experience. So in the end, it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. Tell me about your proudest moment. Getting the Southern California Veterinary Medical Paraprofessional of the Year Award and having my dad be able to be there. Why veterinary medicine and what do you love about our profession? Again, I have that cliche answer of like, I love animals, but I also love people and I get to have the best of all of those worlds. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? I'm not always the best at self-care, which is really funny because I talk to others about how they should do it more or better. But I think that I do go walking with my friends a lot and I try to engage in things that are outside when I can. I also like to play video games if I just want to chill and not think about anything because I've already played the games multiple times. I have a Wii and I play a lot of Lego games, <laughs> so they're quite fun. I would say that's probably what I do the most to just kind of relax, especially today, because we don't have the stuff that we had before. Because to be honest, previous to COVID, conferences were my self-care. Conferences were my re-energizing thing. You know, I would go somewhere for four days, come home exhausted, but I would fill up so much of energy. I'm an energy balloon. Like I just absorb it off of others. So that was my self-care previously. And now I'm trying to figure out a different way. <laughs> How do you balance work and life? And do you experience work guilt in that balance? I do experience some work guilt because I work from home. A lot of the times it is a little bit of a struggle to balance not sitting at my desk at 10 o'clock at night and trying to have like proper work hours. And then I kind of have a work guilt because, you know, I do have hospitals that I'm working with and that I'm helping. And sometimes I'm not 
able to do something for them or if I'm not able to help another manager in a certain time frame, I do sometimes feel guilty about that. What keeps you up at night that you stress out over things that cause you anxiety in your uh, consulting business? Always having work, I guess, would probably be, I don't think it gives me anxiety so much, but it is something that I have to be constantly concerned with. You know, when you leave full-time employment to embark in your own business, there is a scary thing. A lot of people have told me they could never do it because they need that full-time check. And I think that I just decided what the hell, and I, I called it going rogue and just going out and stepping forward and just doing it. And so sometimes making sure that I, you know, I have constant income coming in because I can't count on that regular paycheck. I constantly have to make sure I have the funds to cover things. And I would say I, I've gotten a lot better at that now since my, I've had my business for longer. So I'm not struggling with that, but it is something that I do have to pay a lot more attention to than when I had a constant paycheck. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Well, my cat, Bug, uh, he gets me out of bed in the morning. And I think that, you know, different things excite me for the day. Anytime that I'm doing a speaking engagement or a presentation, that's something that I love. And that's something that gets me, you know, really pumped and really excited. And it is a little different now that it's mostly virtual, but I still enjoy it. I still enjoy being able to teach others and train others. So on those days that I have speaking engagements going on, I definitely have more excitement for the day. And then if there's days I'm going into the hospitals, I mean, I guess it depends on, my days are very different each day to day, so they're not the same. And so I think it just kind of depends on what I've got going on for the day. And also being, you know, being a consultant is a little bit more flexible. Like yesterday, my dad got his second COVID vaccine. So we're really excited. He's 77. So I'm really happy that he got his second one. So we went to lunch and it's nice. That got me excited yesterday. It was like, I get to have the flexibility of going to lunch with my dad on a Thursday. Awesome. Mel, thank you. This has thank been so you. wonderful. Thank We've you. gotten so many great tips thank and you're you. such an expert in this recruiting area. Thank you for coming on. We've had yes. a wonderful time. Thank, thank you. you, Mel. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. Social media management and website design by Dog Days Consultant. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrew Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. 
Andrea Crabtree, David Bliss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.